0: Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Thanks for being here today. I want to echo what Pastor Chuck has already said. For those of you that are new around here, welcome home. We are so glad you're here. My name is Bobby McGraw. And I love getting to serve as one of the pastors here at the church. I'm really glad you're here. We'd love to meet you right after this service. Say hello. And if you've been around here a while, welcome back. Whether you're watching online, or listening to the podcast later, thanks for joining us today. We've been in the series or really a season where we said, hey, let's get ready. Let's get ready for Easter. Easter comes every year, but honestly, the older we get, the busier life is. Right? I've never met anybody that said, man, I've just got so much free time, life is so chill. I mean, everybody is just stressed out, everybody's worn out. And one of the dangers of that is that we would go through a week like this, a significant week like Easter, and we would miss what it's all about. And so Pastor Chuck's been leading us through this idea, of let's get ready. And so hundreds of you have every day been uh, logging on to the church app and and walking through what we call the daily aha, saying, hey, I want to carve out some time every single day to make sure I hear from God and talk to God. And a lot of you have been part of the weekday podcast. You've been sharing those. You've been listening to those, saying, hey, I want to build in some truth in my life throughout the week. And then a lot of people have been fasting and praying on Friday where they've given up something. And every time they think about that thing they've given up, it's this reminder, hey, I want to prepare my heart. I want to make sure... I don't miss this Easter. And so I want to continue that. I think of no better way to get ready for this week, no better way to sort of lean in and to say, God, I want this Easter to be different or I want this Easter to be intentional than for us to think about just one person, to think about Jesus right? I, I know you're not shocked by that. Nobody's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's talking about Jesus today. Nobody's going to be tweet about that and be like, you'll never believe that we talked about Jesus. But that's all I want to do today because here's what I found. We live in a society that's very pluralistic, which means that we're tolerant. We have this sense that everything is equal. And I've seen this for years. I mean, for, for about seven years, I was in the military and When I was in the military, my unit that I was in, we were spread out geographically. So we weren't all in one spot. And so we shared a chaplain across all of our locations. So oftentimes the chaplain wouldn't be with us. So I became sort of the honorary chaplain. That wasn't my job I was an electronics guy in the military. So that, so so I wasn't officially a chaplain, but they're like, Hey, you preach. All right, tag, you're it. And so for years I played chaplain to my unit. And I had a lot of fascinating conversations. Some of my friendships and just meaningful years were during that time. But during that time, I met a lot of people that were okay when you talked about God. They were okay when you talked about religion as in general. They were okay when you talked about sort of this sense that there's something spiritual inside of us. But man, what I found is once you started talking about Jesus, people are like, hold on just one second. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that or not. I don't know if you, you see, what I've found is a lot of people are okay with Jesus's uh, teaching about serving other people. They're like, yeah, I get that. We need to serve other people. People are okay with having compassion on the poor. People are like, okay, yeah, I get that. But the moment you begin to say that Jesus is God and that he is the way to heaven, then a lot of people are like, stop, that's going too far. There's a lot of people in our culture that think that every religion, every world religion is equal. It's almost like, um, just think a little bit about a dartboard. So think about a dartboard. Have that picture in your mind. You've got all these different rings, concentric circles that come down to the middle. World religions may have value. There may be something we can learn from a different religion, but they're not all the same. You start on the outside. You think of Buddhism, right? Buddhism is, there's not a higher power, uh, and and so it's, uh, you know, all this oneness and reincarnation and cycle over and over and over and over again. So even in Buddhism, they don't believe in a God, but they believe that Jesus was a prophet. Then you come in sort of a ring from that. You think about Hinduism, Hinduism, again, Jesus isn't God, but the way that you get to this higher power, this deity is through idols and false gods and all these other things. And then you get into Islam, where Islam, like there is a higher power and they call his name Allah, but the way that you get into a right relationship with Allah is through good works, trying harder, cleaning up your act. Right? Then you get into another ring. You get into Judaism where it's one God and his name is God, that he is God, but they miss who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't the Messiah to them. He was just a prophet, just a guy. But man, when you get to the center of Christianity, Jesus is the bullseye because he's both God and man. And because he's God, he's able to become man. And because he becomes man, he's able to go to the cross and he's able to make it possible for anybody to have a right relationship with God. And so as we walk into Holy Week, as we walk into this week to say, man, I wanna get ready, I wanna get ready, I wanna get ready. The best way I know how to get ready is to simply consider Jesus to think about Jesus, to look at his life, to look at his ministry, to look at his mission. If we're going to get Easter right, as Pastor Chuck says often, we must get Jesus right. So if you've got a bulletin, if you've got something to write on, I'm gonna invite you just to jot down a couple of phrases. These are available in the app if you want to track along in the app. But all I wanna do is I want to lay out to you this idea of considering Jesus. So for some of you, you're like, all right, I, I got that. I want you to consider Jesus afresh for others of you, maybe you're new to all this. I don't want you to consider the church. I don't want you to consider Sugar Hill Church. I don't want you to consider the service. I don't want you to consider the style of the service. I don't even want you to consider me. All today I want us to do is to consider Jesus. Let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Is that cool? Father, thank you for this morning and just that we can come and we can sing about this name. We can lift up this name. We can think about this name that's at the center of it all. We lift up the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray that today you would help us to see him for who he is, see you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Consider Jesus. The first thing I want you to think about is I want you to think about the mission of Jesus. What was Jesus' mission? What did he come to do, and how did he treat the people around him? Jesus had a crystal clear mission. He had a crystal clear mission. Jesus didn't have to find himself. Jesus wasn't trying to figure out, what am I on this earth to do? Jesus knew exactly what he was on this earth to do, right? He knew exactly who he came for. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And There's a lot of examples of this, but if you want to write down an example, just write down Luke chapter 19. Write down Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 is this amazing encounter that you're probably familiar with. Here's what it says in Luke 19. And Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through and behold, there was a man whose name was Zacchaeus. Have you heard the story? Do you know the story? He met him, There's a guy named Zacchaeus and here's what it says. It says in verse two, he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Now let me just pause there for a second. And let me ask you a question. Was he liked or not liked by most people? not liked. Everybody's like, he's not liked. Well, why is he not liked? Well, in their day, tax collectors were hated because the way that a tax collector made their money was by ripping people off. The government would say, hey, go and collect $20. And instead of collecting $20, the tax collector would collect $40. So the way that a tax collector made their money was by overcharging people. And so apparently he's not liked A, because he's a tax collector, but B, he's good at it because it says he's not just a tax collector, but he's what? he's rich, right? So he's not very liked in his day. And let me just pause here for a second and say, not a lot has changed, has it? As we get near tax season, I haven't met anybody that's like, man, I just love sending in my tax return, right? Most of the time, except let me just pause and say this. This is an unplanned between services I met the nicest guy who is a tax assessor in our county. So, so he's not a Zacchaeus. He's awesome, Pat. We're so grateful for you. But here, here's what happens. So Zacchaeus is not liked. Nobody wants to be around him. Whenever they think about Zacchaeus, they, they don't think good thoughts. And are not, hey, that's the guy I want to hang out with. For them, they think he's ripping people off, and so he's an outsider. You get that? he's an outsider. He's an outcast. Nobody wants to be around him, but here's what it says in this passage in Luke 19. It says, but he's trying to see who Jesus is. Can I be honest? I think that describes a lot of people here in Sugar Hill. I think this describes a lot of people in Gwinnett. I think there's a lot of people in our sphere of influence that we would be shocked if we could see beneath the surface and to see that there's a lot of them that are asking the question, I just want to see what's real. That's why I think this is a fantastic week to invite somebody back with you next Sunday because people are looking. But man, I'm telling you, most people in Luke 19, they didn't see it because they didn't want to be around him. He's a chief tax collector. He's rich. And it says in verse three, but he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see him for Jesus was about to pass that way. When you see the scene, Jesus is traveling through. There are hundreds of people around Jesus. He's distracted by a bunch of conversations. There's a bunch of religious leaders all around Jesus. And yet here's what you see Jesus do. In this passage, Jesus stops where he's at. He looks up at this guy. He makes eye contact with him. And he doesn't call him a sinner. He doesn't call him an outcast. He doesn't say, I can't believe you ripped people off. He looks up at him and he calls him by name. He knows who he is. He's relationally open to him. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down for I must stay at your house. And so what do the religious leaders do? Do they celebrate? They're like, man, this is going to be awesome. He's going to get saved and he's going to give us back all of our money. It's going to be great. No, it says that they begin to grumble that all the religious people got ticked off they got angry they're like who why is jesus hanging out with this guy who is a sinner see the religious people had a different mission in mind for jesus They thought, well, he's going to hang out with the religious elite. He's going to hang out with the people that have it all together. He's going to hang out with people that look like me and think like me and believe like me and act like me. He's coming for people that are just like me. But when Jesus came to this earth, he had a crystal clear mission. Here's what Jesus says when these people get ticked off. He says down in verse 10, for the son of man, talking about himself, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. See, so when we consider Jesus, we start by thinking about his mission. Jesus wasn't sidetracked by the religious leaders of his day. He wasn't pulled into these debates about nothing. He wasn't pulled into looking good on the outside and being far from God on the inside. Jesus had a crystal clear sense of his mission. He says it over and over again in Matthew. He says it over and over again in Luke. He says it over and over again in Mark. He says it's not the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. It's not the people that have it together that need a savior. Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus's mission was extended to the outsiders. Jesus's mission was extended to the lost, to the least, to to the people that were forgotten. Even the people that weren't leaning in to see him. Jesus is like, I came for that person. That's powerful. That's powerful. He had that kind of mission. I've been friends with a guy for probably um, five or six years, Uh, just become really, really good friends with him. And uh, a while back, he was telling me more of his story, part of his story that I did not know until he told me. He, He was saying years and years ago, he's like, my wife and I went through this sort of rough patch and there was some stuff from our past that came up and it sort of drove this wedge in our relationship and being the typical guy, guys aren't typically good at talking about that stuff. We just sort of stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, So he'd been stuffing for years and years and years and years and years and their marriage became more distant. And then there was stuff that came up that that honestly, where he began to resent her and, and man, just a lot of junk going on. And uh, he was in a season where he was traveling a lot. So he's traveling, 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 traveling. And one night he's in another state and another place, Another hotel, meets this lady at dinner, didn't plan on doing anything crazy, but partially through that night, he's like, you know what, I'm done. He ends up having an affair. Comes back home, doesn't say anything about it. Comes back home, acts like nothing has changed, but internally, everything has changed. Internally, he's, going, uh, uh, he's become more silent, he's become more distant, become more angry, and he kept carrying that weight for years. So finally, he came to church on a Sunday We had sort of these preconceived notions. Well, who did Jesus come from? Jesus came for people that had it together and people that, you know, knew all the ins and outs and knew all the rules and knew all the traditions. And that Sunday he heard, no, Jesus came for sinners just like me, just like you. Jesus didn't run from the messes. He ran towards the messes. Jesus didn't run away from the drama. He stepped into the drama. And so that Sunday when my friend came to church and he experienced that, he experienced that there's a God that still loved him. There's a God that has all kinds of forgiveness. There's a God that says, I didn't come for the people that have it all together. I came for the sick, for the lost, for the broken, for the least, for the forgotten, for the uninterested, for the people that are the outcast. Jesus is like, I came for you. And man, on that Sunday, the message and the mission of Jesus wasn't just a story. It wasn't just some cute skit or some video clip. It became real where he experienced the life of Jesus. So that Sunday afternoon, had a difficult conversation with his wife. This is going to be hard. He's like, this is going to be a hard conversation. Came clean. Led to months of frustration in their marriage, but they worked on it. They worked on it. They worked on it. They got professional help, worked on it, worked on it, worked on it. And now years later, they serve actively. Years later, they, they, they're mentors to other couples that have gone through seasons of the same thing, and they have seen the mission of Jesus lived out in their life. Consider Jesus, number one, consider how clear his mission is. And then number two, think about the actions that Jesus took. As we consider Jesus, number one, he had a crystal clear mission. He's like, I I came for the least of these. I came for the lost, for the forgotten, the overlooked. But then look at the intentional actions he took. See, oftentimes when we look at scripture and we see the miracles of Jesus, it's easy to think, well, that's, that's a nice little story. That's a nice little example. But when you look at the, at the things that Jesus did, he lived his life on purpose. That's what I'm talking about. When he had a crystal clear mission, that mission was so clear. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I've come for sinners just like you, just like me. He, he stepped onto this earth, and because of that clear mission, he took intentional action. Think about it. When Jesus left heaven, he could have stayed in heaven. He could have said, you know, I'm God. I don't have to come down here. Look at those people that have messed up. He could have just looked down and said, you know what? I hope you figure it out. See ya. But instead, Jesus left heaven and he came to this earth. And when he came to this earth, how did he come? The Bible was crystal clear that Jesus was born born of a virgin. Well, why is that a big deal? What that means is he did not inherit the sin nature that comes from a normal union, a normal birth. Jesus came to this earth. He was born of a virgin, which means he was able to live a perfect, sinless life. Now let that sink in for a minute, a perfect, sinless life. He had never done anything against himself, Never done anything wrong against other people, never done anything wrong against God, the Heavenly Father. He lived a perfect sinless life. And then he goes through this sham trial where people mock him, where people twist his words, where people spit on him, they beat him. But then he goes all the way to the cross. See, he could have said, I'm not going to do that. He could have said, I'm God. I deserve to be treated better. He could have said, I, I'm going to come down. I'm going to sit on an earthly throne. I'm going to put on an earthly crown. But instead, when he came, he came as a servant. That's what Philippians 2 talks about, that he emptied himself. He became like a man, even a servant that went to the cross. So when Jesus hung on that cross, he wasn't hanging on that cross for his sin. He'd never sinned. He was not hanging on the cross for something that he deserved. He didn't deserve it. Instead, when he's hanging on that cross between earth and sky and he feels the weight of sin, the weight of sin that he's feeling is my sin, your sin, the sin of the world. The way the Bible says it later in Colossians is it says, He who knew no sin literally became sin. He died on the cross, was placed in the tomb. The enemy thinks, Man, we've won. We've shut him up, but then three days later, he comes back to life with resurrection life. Think about that. Some people are like, well, did the resurrection really happen? Maybe, maybe the disciples showed up and they just stole his body. Really? Disciples that are not trained soldiers are supposedly going to show up to Roman soldiers and, and, and beat them up, and, and suddenly these normal fishermen are going to somehow, no. mean, it's it's so crazy. Would the Romans allow that? No. Would the Romans allow that? No. Think about this. People may live for something that's a lie, but they will not die for a lie. And why did 11 of 10 of the 11 remaining disciples die? They died for their faith because they preached that Jesus beat death. The only disciple that did not die saying that was John because he was uh, exiled to Patmos. He died of old age, but the other 10 remaining disciples died for their faith. In fact, one of the disciples that we call Doubting Thomas, Thomas hears that Jesus beat death and Thomas is like, I don't know. I need to see that for myself. That's like some of us, right? We need all the details. We need to, right? I, I, I want to put my own eyes on it. So Thomas is like, I, I don't know about this whole thing of beating death. I want to see it for myself. And so Jesus shows Thomas. Here, here's where I was pierced in my hands. Here's where I was pierced in my side. And what did Thomas end up doing? Thomas ended up being the first missionary to India, and he preached that Jesus beat death and he actually gave his life for it. The people in India drove a stake through his body. I'm telling you, people might live for something they don't believe, but they will not die for it. And these people died for their faith because they saw Jesus beat death. And I was thinking about that this week. I was thinking about what happens when Jesus beats the death in our life. I I was thinking about what happens when Jesus steps into our stories, into our messes, into our screw ups, into our scars, that wherever Jesus shows up, he brings life. And I was talking to a friend this week who four or five years ago, His extended family was strained, man. They were going through a season of disconnected where they weren't getting along and they hadn't spoken for years and years and years. And then one Sunday morning, one Easter Sunday, they show up and somehow on this campus, they end up in the same service over in the chapel, the same hour over in the chapel. They have no idea that the other person's planning on coming here for Easter Sunday. They show up, they see one another, and God, that resurrection, that life of Jesus was experienced in that family. Consider Jesus, his mission. Who did he come for? His actions that he took, he was very intentional. Number three, if you're a note taker and you want to write this down, not only did he take intentional action, but number three, he had a decisive solution. So here's the problem. Here's what everybody's wrestling with. Well, can I be made right with God? Can I know God? Can I have peace with God? This isn't a new question. In fact, let me just flip over to John chapter three. This is such a familiar passage. We often hear John three sixteen, but let me, just, let me just dive in here just for one second. In John chapter three, here's what it says. It says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, all right? He's a Pharisee, so he's a religious person. It says he's a ruler of the Jews. That's the next phrase. So he's not just an average Church goer. He's a leader. He's somebody that grew up memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament. He knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He grew up as a kid studying the prophets. He studied the predictions of what would happen when the Messiah would come. This dude is smart. This guy was great at knowing the rules and keeping the rules. Externally, he looked like he had it together. And yet, there was still something missing. How do I know that? Well, here, here's what it says. John 3, verse 1. Now, there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man, here's what it says, verse 2, came to Jesus by night. Now, I don't know exactly why he came by night. I don't know if he didn't want the other religious people to see him. I don't know if he thought this is my best chance of getting Jesus' undivided attention. But I know that he was in his own heart, he was walking in darkness. So he shows up and he says to Jesus, verse two, rabbi, so he's respectful. He says, teacher, rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who, who has come from God. Why do we know this? For no one can do these signs unless God is with them. So he's showing up. He's like, I- I've kept all of these rules. I know all of these codes. I've memorized all of this chunks of scripture from the Old Testament, but yet, I still sense there's something missing. Can you help me? And listen to what Jesus says to him in verse 3. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is... And listen to what Jesus says. Jesus does not say, unless you clean up your act. He doesn't say, unless you memorize more of the Old Testament. He doesn't say, as long as you attend church more. He doesn't say, as long as you give more money. Here's what he says. Unless you are... Here's the phrase born again. He's like, what? Nicodemus is sharp, but he's trying to figure this out. He's still like, all right, what about all these rules? What about all these laws? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about rules. It's not about laws. It's not about trying to earn your way into right relationship. He says, you must be, what is it? You must be born again. And Nicodemus is confused and Jesus is like, no, 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 don't you know Ezekiel? He makes this reference to water. He's referring back to Ezekiel 36 where God says through the prophet, there's coming a day, I'm gonna wash them clean and I will remember their sins no more. And Nicodemus is so focused on rules. He's so focused on head knowledge. He's so focused on trying to earn his worth before God that he misses the simple solution. The solution is not, I'm gonna try harder. The solution is not, I'm gonna give more money. The solution is not, I'm going to try to be a better person. The solution is to be born again. And the point of being born again is you can't do it yourself. We can't do it ourselves. I wonder how often God looks down at us and we're trying to earn our way into a right relationship. God, I'm going to earn my way to be your son, earn my way to be your daughter. How crazy that must be. Can you imagine, uh, some of you have multiple kids and and some of you have that kid that drives you crazy, right? You've got multiple, can you imagine if that kid came up to you and said, mom, dad, I think I have finally earned my right to be your son or daughter. I think I've finally been good enough. Now I've earned my way into sonship or daughtership. What would your response be? Some of you would be like, that's cute. Some of you would probably pull out your cell phone and take a selfie with them and post it for everybody to be like, that's awesome. But some of you might get a little ticked off. What? (laughs) You're going to earn your right to be my son or my daughter? Can I just remind you that the food you're eating, I paid for? Can I remind you that the pajamas you're wearing, I paid for? can I just remind you that room that you call your room is actually part of my house and I'm just loaning it to you what do you mean you've earned your way into being my son or daughter see we can't that sounds crazy doesn't it? we can't earn our way the way that you become a son or daughter isn't based on your worth it's based on your birth isn't that true you don't get to a point where you're like, hey, my son or my daughter is finally worthy. I'm gonna accept them. No, 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 no. The way that somebody becomes a son or a daughter isn't by their worth, it is by their birth. There's nothing that son or daughter can do to be born. Sometimes I'll head down to the hospitals. I'll go to, to Northside here in Forsyth and the great uh, maternity wing that hasn't been open too many years. And I've never walked in there and overheard a doctor shouting to the baby inside the mom. I've never heard a doctor saying, all right, baby, now you've got a lot of work to do before you can be born, right? I've never seen a doctor with a megaphone pointed at the belly saying, work harder, try harder, you're gonna be, no, 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 what does the baby do? Nothing. Who does the hard work? Mom. And dads claim to do hard work, but who are we kidding, right? I mean, think about it. No baby can work harder to be born. They're just along for the ride. And spiritually speaking, that's true for us as well. Man, you can't earn it. You can't try to clean it up yourself. You can't try to find worth based on your performance. The way that we become a son or our daughter, Jesus is crystal clear about this. He's decisive about the solution is we must be born again. And So the question is, well, how? How? How does all of this come together? Well, the last point if you're a note taker is number four. Jesus gives us what I call an open invitation. He gives us an open invitation. Jesus, all throughout scripture, every time we see the mission of Jesus, Every time we see the actions of Jesus, every time we see here's the message that Jesus is giving us, here's the solution, every time we see that, it's as if we're seeing Jesus taking a step towards us. He doesn't step back and say, well, I can't be near there. He he doesn't step back and say, well, I hope you figure it out. Instead, Jesus keeps taking steps towards us. And the question of this week is, will I take steps towards him? Thank God there's not multiple answers to this solution. Thank goodness that it's not about try harder, work harder, memorize more. Here's what the Bible says. In Romans 3.23, the Bible says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us, in church, out of church, close to him, far away, born in this country, born in another country, every single one of us come separated from God because of our sin. Then Romans 6.23 says it this way, that the wages, the thing that we deserve, the thing that we earn for our sin is eternal separation from God. But I love what Romans 5.8, and I was so reminded of this a few weeks ago, Heather got baptized and part of her testimony was her favorite verse is from Romans 5.8. It's one of my favorite as well. Here's what it says, at just the right time, Christ died on the cross for our sins. It says, even for the ungodly, he died. Jesus didn't wait till we cleaned up our act. He didn't wait till we got it together. Even on our deepest, darkest day, Jesus still died for us. And here's what Romans 10 says, that if we uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, here's what he says, you will be saved. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to hope. You don't have to grapple with it. The promise of all scripture is that you can be born again and the way that you're born again is through faith. And so as we get ready for this week, would you consider Jesus, his mission, his ministry, his message, the way that he took a step towards you? My question today is, Will you take a step towards him? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? I want to pray for what God's doing here. Even if you're watching online, I want to pray for you. As we pray, is there anybody here this morning that would just say, Bobby, as you pray, would you pray for one of my friends, one of my family members? Maybe there's somebody that God has placed in your heart that needs to experience that message of Jesus this week. That you're praying that this would be the Easter that... That the life that Jesus brings would be experienced in your home, in your family, in your friends, neighbors, whoever that is. You just say, Bobby, as you pray, pray, pray for me because there's some people in my life that I know need to experience this message. If that's you, would you just quietly slip your hand straight up in the air, straight up in the air, straight up in the air? Yeah. Yeah. even now with your hand raised, would you just pray for them in your head and your heart? Would you just mention them by name? Dear Jesus, I pray for. And then mention who that is. God, would you help them to see that it's just you. It's Jesus. He's not one God among many gods. He is God. And then as we continue praying, is there anybody that would just say, Bobby, pray for me personally? You'd say, man, I need to experience that message. Maybe you already know him, but somewhere along the way, you forgot that it was something that only he could do and you've been trying to make up for it. Or maybe you've gone through a season where you've walked away. And today you just say, Bobby, pray for me. I, as he takes steps towards me, I wanna take steps towards him. And you just say, Bobby, would you pray for me that I would experience him for who he is today? If that's you, would you do the same thing? Just slip your hands straight up in the air, straight up in the air. You say, Bobby, pray for me. That I need to be saved or maybe I need to walk back towards him. Yeah. Yeah. All across this room as we pray, if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus, you can do that this morning. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it is what we believe in our heart. Would you just pray something like this, dear Jesus? I know that I am a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. If you just prayed that, the promise of scripture is you will be saved. In fact, if you... Pray that today here in this room, I'd love for you to take an info card and write it on the info card and give it to one of us after the service so we can follow up with you. If you're watching online, to click the little email button, prayer at sugarhillchurch.com. We'd love to be able to give you resources. But if you're a believer, would you pray this part of the prayer with me? Dear Jesus, would you help me to experience you this week? Help me not to take your mission and your message lightly. Help me to step towards you. And God, if it would please you, would you use me to help other people connect with you? In a moment, I'm gonna finish praying and we're gonna stand before we head out of these doors. I'm just gonna invite us to lean into this chorus one more time, lean into this part of the song that we're reminded that it's a name. It's not multiple names. It's not multiple paths. There is one name by which we can be saved. Jesus said it this way. He says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And that's our prayer today, that we leave with this name. Father, would you help us to lean in and lift up your name, the name of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.